Welcome. So I've heard a lot of folks over the years uh, say the following. They'll say, preacher, I just want to know God's will for my life. I just want to know his will. You know, they're facing some kind of uh, difficult decision or, you know, they're at some kind of crossroads in their life. Maybe they're dealing with a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety, uh, a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, things like that. And they say, Pastor, I just want to know God's will. I just want to know his will. And this is typically my response. I will say, do you really? Do you really? Or do you just think that you do? Because the reality for me and for all of us, we think we want to hear God's will for our lives until he actually gives it to us. And then things change. You see, 99% of the time, God's will for our lives is far different than our wills for our lives. <laughs> far different. So, what do you do then? What do you do when God reveals his will for you and it's horrifying? What do you do then? <laughs> what do you turn when God tells you his plan for your life? And you hate it. What then? Well, that's what our text today is about. If you're new with us, we have just started a new sermon series working verse by verse through the book of Exodus. And so let's turn there now. Let's turn to the book of Exodus. And today we come to chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 22. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, uh, you will see... Uh, well, these verses will be very familiar to you. <laughs> this is now our third week in, the, <laughs> in uh, Exodus chapter 3. But like I said, I think Exodus chapter 3 is the most profound chapter in the Bible. It's at least right up there. Okay, Top 10 profound chapters in the Bible. So that's why we've spent a little bit of time on it. This is kind of like a sermon series within the sermon series here in Exodus chapter 3. But this thing is so ridiculously good. I, I just had to look at it for longer than a week. So here we are. Uh, at uh, chapter 3, we're going to go through verses 4 through 22. Next week, I promise, we'll start chapter 4, okay? So just relax. <laughs> we're going to 4 next week. All right, this week, uh, it's chapter 3. Uh, we'll start at verse 4. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. 
So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. This is God's word. Okay, so Moses has what we've always wanted. What we've always begged God for, he gets it. He has a burning bush experience. He gets to literally hear the voice of God. I mean, we think that all the time. We're like, man, if God would just come down, if he would just come like he did to Moses, you know, just give me that burning bush experience and tell me what to do with my life, that would be awesome. That would be so great. And you know, likely Moses thought the same thing, right? So let's remember who Moses is. He is the miracle baby who was saved out of the Nile and raised by the princess in the Pharaoh's own home. And he knew that he was a Hebrew and he had high hopes to deliver his people out of this ridiculous bondage that they had been in for hundreds of years. But then, 
He blew it. Like royally, blew it. He murdered an Egyptian and therefore had to run. He had to escape. He was rejected both by the Egyptians and his own people, the Israelites. And so now, for the last 40 years, he has been in the desert tending sheep for his father-in-law. And so it's likely Moses is out there in the desert thinking, man, I blew it. I wish God would come to me and just give me something. <laughs> just give me anything. And incredibly, one day while he's minding his own business, doing what he always does, tending sheep in the desert, he hits the jackpot. He gets what he wants. He meets with the living God at the burning bush. But <laughs> this meeting with God doesn't go at all how Moses planned. At all. As it turns out, God's will for Moses is terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> and so for two straight chapters... Moses fights with God about God's will for him. He pushes back, he whines, he argues, he complains nonstop for two chapters, chapters three and four. But you know, is Moses really that different than you or me? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. We also whine and complain to God when things aren't going the way we wanted them to. But you know, as we saw last week and as we just read, God says to Moses and he says to us, I am who I am. He doesn't say, I am who you want me to be. No, he is the great I am. God is who God is, and His will never bends to our will. He is the potter, and we are the clay. And this text shows us three things about God's call to Moses, and likewise, God's call to you and to me. If you got a bulletin, number one in your outline. God's call is not about us. God's call is not about us. It's important to see here that God is not giving Moses a list of options to choose from. Right? Well, which option would you like, Moses? Option A, B, or C? Your call, Moses. Is that what he does? Uh, no. He just tells Moses what's about to happen. Right? He says, I am going to deliver my people, and I am going to use you to do it. And Moses has multiple objections to this plan. Multiple. Uh, in fact, there are actually five different objections listed in chapters 3 and 4 that Moses presents to the living God. And God is shockingly patient with Moses the complainer, okay? He's like ridiculously patient with this guy. I would not be near as patient as the great I am is patient with Moses here. Moses is constantly yabbutting the Almighty. 
Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. He's got five different yeah, buts for God. And God is surprisingly patient with him. He listens to his objections, but God's plan does not change. It does not. His plan is totally unyielding. And Moses does everything he possibly can to try to wiggle out of God's will. But God's will is relentless. It's relentless. God's call is not about what we want. It's about what God wants. Now, I realize that might seem cold and harsh. I get that. Okay, it's cold and it's harsh. But maybe, maybe it's not quite as cold as you think it is. Maybe it's not. Let's think about it this way. Let's think about it like this. God's call to us is an expression of God's choice. Right? I mean, how could it be any other way? Who is commanding God? No one. His call is an expression of his own choice. And if that's true, if God's call is an expression of God's choice, that means God's choice, God's decision is to call you into his service, to call me into his service. And that is incredible. It should blow your mind. I can see that it's not blowing your mind. <laughs> but it should. It should. So let's dive a little deeper to see what I mean. When I was a skeptic, and then even as a new Christian, these kinds of things used to bother me. But this has turned out to be something so beautiful and so profound to me. Let's think about it together. Let's think. Now, the Israelites are in bad trouble, okay? They are enslaved to the most powerful nation on the earth who is just insanely wicked and oppressive. God, being God, has infinite options before him as to how to handle this, okay? Let's think together. Could God simply smite the Egyptians and set his people free? Yes. Yes, he could. Could God simply raise up a kinder, gentler Pharaoh who would set his people free? Yes, he could. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because he wants to use Moses. He wants to use Moses. He wants to give Moses the most incomprehensibly spectacular gift of being a part of this. It's remarkable. Likewise, could God simply come to your neighbor or your coworker in a dream and reveal himself to them? 
Yes, he could. Could God simply write a message in the sky with the clouds so that your neighbor would read it? And the clouds clearly and explicitly giving him the gospel. Could God do that? Yes, he could. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because he wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to give you the incomprehensibly spectacular gift of being a part of this, of having a role to play. Now, is it difficult? Yeah. Is it scary? Yeah. Are you going to do it perfectly? Not even close. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's worth it. I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for a while now, actually. So if, if I were to grab a notebook and list out for you, start writing a list of my top 100 moments of my life. Just list them out for you. You know, you have the obvious ones on there. You know, uh, my wedding day would be on there, of course. Uh, the birth of my children would be on there. You know, not all of those kinds of things would be on there. But you know what would make up at least a third of the list? At least a third. At least a third of that list would be opportunities that I had to share the gospel with others. That would make a third of my favorite, most profound moments in my life. It is the thrill of my life to share the gospel with others. Hey, it hasn't always gone great, <laughs> okay? I haven't always had the right words to say. I've, I've bungled the words, okay? I've been spit upon. I've been laughed at. I've been mocked, okay? But man, it was awesome. <laughs> oh, man. Man, what a gift. What a gift those moments are. What a thrill it is to be a part of this. It's amazing. And you know, you may not realize this, but in our text today, this is the first time in 400 years that the God of Abraham has spoken. He has been dead silent for 400 years. Dead silent. His people are in amazing bondage and oppression. Like the highest level you could conceive of, and God has said nothing. He's been dead silent for 400 long years. And what is the first word God says to break the silence? The first word <laughs> Moses. Moses, not a general invitation, not a broad decree for all of humanity, but a name, a person's name. Think about that. God broke 400 years 
of silence with someone's name. God's call comes from his choice and his incredible, mind-blowing choice is to use us, to call us by name. Not as a general decree, but by our personal names. So yes, it's true, his call is not about us or our desires. It's about something far, far greater. Far, far better. It's about God and God's desires. And amazingly, incredibly, he gives that call. His own desire, he gives it to us personally. He hands it over to us personally. He calls us by name. And you think, now wait a second. God didn't call me by name. This happened to Moses a long, long, long time ago. That hasn't happened to me. You happen, if that's what you think, you happen to be wrong. The Apostle Paul tells you that you're wrong. Here's what he says. Paul says, writes this uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Consider the calling God gave to you. No, you see, this didn't just happen to Moses. God's personal call comes to every believer in the world. Every believer in history. God knows your name, and he calls you into his kingdom and into his service by that name. He doesn't throw out some general call to everyone. No, he calls you. He calls you into service by your name. That's point number one. Point number two in your outline. God's call is inward and outward. The order here is really important. Inward and then outward. I probably should have put the word then there. You can write it down if you're taking notes. God's call is inward and then outward. What do I mean? Well, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is a total outsider. Like total outsider. In every sense of the word, he's an outsider. First of all, he is a shepherd, which is on the very bottom rung of occupations in the ancient world. It's at the bottom. No kid aspires to be a shepherd in the ancient world. Okay, This is on the bottom of occupations. But not only that, he's a shepherd, but he's a shepherd in Midian, which is the same thing as being a shepherd in nowhere. It's the same thing. Midian is like back, back, backwoods. Where would that be in Alabama? You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) You don't know, right, you don't know. I was going to say Hartzell, but I'm like, eh. People kind of know where Hartzell's at. (laughs) This is back, back woods, okay? This is back in Flint. Is Flint the... Anyway, y'all get it. You're way out there. He's like way, way, way out there. He is a shepherd in Midian, in Nowhereville, okay? That's where Midian is. He is so far removed from the hustle and bustle of human life in Egypt. He is so far removed from the life of God's people and God's presence 
He is a man without a home, without a people, without a God. That is, until verse 5, when God calls him in. Let's look at verse 5 together. God calls him in. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, this is more spectacular than you realize. You see, this verse, in this verse, is the very first time in the Bible the word holy appears. The very first time the word holy appears. Likely, Moses has no idea what God's even talking about. <laughs> He's never heard the word. This is the first time, okay? So what does holy mean? Well, we touched on this a little bit last week, but essentially what the word holy means is it means to be set apart. So what does it mean for God to use the word holy in reference to himself? Well, it means that God is totally and completely separate from everything else. It's his utter separateness from all other things. He is totally pure, totally good, totally merciful, totally powerful, totally knowledgeable, etc., etc., etc. God is completely unique. And where the one unique God is, there is total holiness, total otherness separateness and somehow for some reason God calls Moses into it into this perfect holiness this perfect separateness if anybody was separate from God it was Moses if anybody was a sinner it was Moses if anybody was unholy and unclean, it was Moses. And yet here, God calls him in to his very own holy presence. And when Moses over and over again protests God's plan, how does God respond? I mean, this is like so insulting what Moses does to God. It's, it's hard to wrap our heads around this, okay? The infinite God has called this unholy, unclean man into his own holy presence. And Moses responds with all kinds of problems, with arguments, with complaints. And how does God respond? Does he say, oh, now Moses, this is a pretty cool thing that I just did for you. This is pretty amazing. You're unholy and unclean. I'm clean and holy. And I let you come into my presence. And this is how you respond? How about a lightning bolt, Moses? Is that what he does? Nope. How does God respond to Moses' complaints? He gives Moses a promise. <laughs> this is incredible. He gives Moses a promise. He says to Moses, I am with you. I will always be with you. 
Now, this is amazing. You can't even tell in English how amazing this is. But if you could read this in Hebrew, you could see how incredible this promise is. And the reason it's so incredible in Hebrew is because you can tell that God uses his own holy, perfect name in this promise. So this isn't just the plain old phrase, I am with you. No, it's I am with you. Capital I, capital A, capital M. Yahweh with you is what God says. So God's call to Moses includes Moses' personal name and God's only holy and personal name himself. It includes God's own name. God calls Moses into intimate fellowship and friendship with himself. I mean, this is intimacy on a level that we cannot conceive of what God is doing here with Moses. And then, and then, see the order here is critical. And then after God calls Moses in, into intimacy and friendship with him, he then calls him out. He calls him in, and then he calls him out. Out to do what? To spread the word of deliverance. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. Verse 16 and 17. God says, Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. My wife had the privilege, my wife and I had the privilege of going there several years ago, and it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. It is stunning. It is gorgeous. This land, it's like heaven on earth. And this is the promise that God has given to Moses. God tells him, go. Go and tell my people that I'm setting them free. And I'm bringing them out of bondage and into a land flowing with milk and honey. And you know, God's call to us is exactly the same. It's exactly the same. He calls you and me into his gracious presence so that he can then call us out, out to do what? To spread the news of freedom to a lost and enslaved world. He wants freedom to ring in every corner of the earth. And amazingly, he wants you to do it. He wants me to do it. And if you have any sense about you, here's what you'll say in response to that call. You will say, uh, no thanks. No thanks. 
That is a heck of a challenge, God. I mean, a heck of a challenge. You want me to spread the news of freedom in all the world. What? I'm a sinner. I'm an introvert. I don't know much about the Bible. This sounds like the scariest thing ever. I'm not qualified for that. And of course, if you paid attention in chapter 3, that's exactly what Moses said. Exactly what he said. Verbatim. Moses said, here am I, send someone else. Right? It's the exact opposite of Isaiah's response. <laughs> Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Moses says, here am I. Literally, he said that, was it back in, uh, what, verse, uh, yeah, verse 4. He says, here am I, send someone else. <laughs> I'm not qualified for this. You see, Moses saw this calling how most of us see it. Not as a gift, not as this spectacular gift that we talked about earlier. How we see it as like the craziest, most heavy burden. That's how we see it. We see it as a burden. That's exactly how Moses saw it. He did not at all see this as some, oh, this is great honor and privilege. No. He saw it as a tremendous burden. And Moses was right. He was right. It is a heck of a burden. The call to take the message of freedom to a lost and dying world is a scary, heavy, and difficult calling. It was heavy for Moses. It's heavy for you and me too. So, what do we do? What do we do? How do we handle our fear and the weight of God's call? This brings us to our last point. We'll close with this. Point number three how we answer the call with joy. How we answer the call with joy. So do you know why Moses protests God's call for two whole chapters? Because he's afraid. He's afraid. Sure, God calls Moses into his holy presence. That's cool. Sure, God calls Moses into intimate fellowship with him. Great. Appreciate it. But gee whiz, God, this call is too heavy. It's too hard. It's too risky. It's too dangerous. It's too unpredictable. It's too far outside of Moses' comfort zone. You see, Moses in the desert in Midian may not have had the life that he dreamed of out there. He may not. But you know what he had? Safety. He had safety out there. He had predictability out there. He was far, far away from Pharaoh's gaze. He was safe. And what God is calling Moses to is very unsafe. <laughs> very, very unsafe. Moses was protected and safe with his flocks in Midian, and now he's called to face the most powerful man on the earth, Pharaoh of Egypt. And Moses is afraid. 
And that's why he protests. And that's why you and I do too. We're afraid. You see, God's call, it seems to give us something to lose. We're fine until God's call comes. And now suddenly, when we are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we now have something to lose. We can lose our friends. We can lose our reputation. We can lose our job. We can lose uh, the quiet little coziness in our lives that we love so much. We've got a cozy little house, a cozy little job, cozy little kids, a cozy little life. And hey, I'm pointing the finger directly at myself right here. Cozy is my middle name. I love being cozy. Last night, we turned on the fireplace. I got the fireplace going for the first time. Man, there's nothing like that first time you turn on the fireplace when it's chilly outside. Ooh, I love it. I love being cozy. I love being warm. I love being protected. I love it. I ask my wife, I ask my kids, I love it. And God's call pulls us out of our coziness. It pulls us out of our blankets by the fireplace. It's scary as all get out. Hey, it's scary for me too. I get it. It's scary. So what do we do? What do we do with our fear? What do we do with this heavy call that we've been given? We've been brought in. Yes, that's wonderful. But the sending out that's scary. What do we do? Well, we have to remember what it cost God to bring us in. To bring us into His holy presence. And you say, well, wait a minute. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't cost Him anything. You know, he just told Moses, you know, come on in. He just told me, yeah, just come on in. No. That is not what happened. It's not what happened with Moses. That's not what happened with you and me either. How in the world could unclean, unholy people like me and you and Moses ever be in intimate fellowship with the Almighty, with the great I Am? We can't. We can't. Not without cost. You see... There's someone else in the Bible who God called to deliver the message of freedom to the world. But the weight of his call was infinitely heavier than yours or mine. In order to let freedom ring throughout the earth, God called him to carry the weight of the entire world's sin. And like you and me, he was afraid. He was very afraid. He cried out, Father, please let this cup pass from me. You see, the Father had a cup for him to drink. And in that cup was all of the Father's divine wrath against the wickedness of the world. And Jesus was afraid. He was so afraid that he sweat droplets of blood 
as he prayed to his father. But here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing about Christianity is that faced with the most terrible, terrifying suffering imaginable, drinking from the cup of the Almighty's wrath, Jesus took the cup. He took the cup from his Father's hand and he drank it down to the dregs. He drank every single drop for you and for me. He drank every drop, which means there is no wrath left for you. There's no wrath left. Jesus has drank the cup down to the dregs. What, therefore, does that mean for us and our calling? It means this. It means that we're free. We're free. Like, not halfway free, not a little bit free. We are totally free. It means his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It means that he has carried the heavy weight. He has borne the heavy burdens on himself. And his calling, therefore, to us is not some kind of divine expectation that we fail to live up to. It is a free opportunity for us to join into. That's what it is. It is not a heavy burden for you to carry. It is not. Jesus carried the heavy burden so that you'll never have to. We are in total and utter freedom. You see, you and I, we're afraid. We're afraid that we're too sinful. We're afraid that we're too unqualified to serve God or talk to others about the gospel. Opportunities arise to tell others about Jesus, and we intentionally ignore them. I've done that at least twice this week. Why? Because I was afraid. I was afraid. So I kept my mouth shut. That happens all the time. People ask us questions, skeptics. Whether it be our neighbor, our coworker, our family members, they ask us questions we cannot answer. We don't know the answer to them. And that makes us insecure. It makes us afraid. And then when we finally do muster up the courage to share the gospel with somebody, afterwards we beat ourselves up thinking about all the things we should have said. That happens to me constantly. Like, I should have said this, and I should have said that, and I should have said this. I should have said that. We beat ourselves up. But you know what Jesus' death tells us? It tells us that he has carried all of our fears. He carried them. He has carried all of our burdens. He has carried all of our embarrassments and humiliations on his own shoulders. Therefore, we really have nothing now to be afraid of. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing to be humiliated by. It means we're free. We're actually free. We're free to run. We're free to answer the call. We're free to fail. We're free to look foolish. We're free to say the wrong things. We're free to make mistakes because his precious blood covers them all. It covers them all. The death of Jesus on our behalf means that we cannot fail. God's call to us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth is a win-win proposition. 
He's in control. Did you notice? <laughs> He's in total control here. So when we fail, we win because His blood covers it. And it all works out for our good and the good of our neighbor. It all works out. His blood just covers our sins and our failures and our mistakes. So when we lose, we win. And when we win, we win. Christianity is win-win. We can't lose. Jonathan Edwards said this about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. He said, quote, The crucifixion and resurrection of Christ means that our bad things will turn out for good. Our good things can never really be lost. And the best things are yet to come. End quote. That's Christianity. That's the gospel. So let's answer the call, shall we? Let's take this gospel to the ends of the earth. You see, because of Jesus, we literally have nothing to lose.